On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark. And before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcast Essentials kit. The microphone and headphone combo is amazing. If you want to start your own podcast, this is the most economical, highest quality way to do it. Henry Frayn is a laid-back guy, and that's reflected in his music. It's relaxed, thoughtful, and purposefully made. From Akak to Area, the moon seven times to Lanterna, his guitar playing is clean and beautiful. He focuses on instrumentals that let your imagination work. Here he talks about his career, his trouble with Apple algorithms, and recreating songs from fragments on old cassettes. He also sheds light on what the Akak Hotel is. Listen to his new album, Hidden Drives on Badman Recordings. It'll put you in a great place. Follow Henry and Lanterna on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX. Rate and review this show. That'll put me in a great place. Buy us some coffee if you like at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety merchandise is available at performanceanx.threadless.com so grab a soothing drink maybe some tea and settle into Henry Frain and Lanterna on Performance Anxiety a proud member of the Pantheon podcast family you're listening to Performance Anxiety I'm Henry Frain from the band Lanterna uh, we have a new album out called Hidden Drives on Badman Recording Co. And you can order the new album through Badman at www.badmanrecordingco.com. Thank you so much. Um, I don't know if... Oh, there's my dog. My son's moving the cars around, so my dog is going nuts right now. I've got a neighbor's dog who... She sits it by the window, and you know, it's not... <laughs> quite as loud but it's it's over there it's <laughs> and he's like th- three rooms away too so it, it's uh he's a he's an australian shepherd and boxer mix so he's uh he's like 88 pounds of just goofiness wow he's he's a he's such a goofball he's hilarious though so to find out a little bit more about where you're at now with, with the music, I like to start at the beginning to find out how you got there. So I like to know a little bit about growing up. Was there a lot of music in the household? Were you playing music early on? What, what was it like? What were your influences when you were really starting to get into music? Um, I guess, uh, you know, my, uh, my dad was born in uh, around New York City, Fort Lee, New Jersey, right by, you know, grew up right by the uh, that big bridge, yep. uh, uh, a couple of houses away from that. And uh, so he lived there for a long time. Um, he met my mother. They got married. Uh, they lived there in New York City for a little while until I was born. And then just after I was born, pretty much he got a job here at the University of Illinois as a wow. professor. And 
uh, they came out here and they've been here ever since. And I've been in Champaign, Illinois, ever since myself, sort of give or take uh, trips and parts of the year in on the East Coast in Maine and okay. such. So um, he was a classical music uh, fan uh, from childhood probably so just growing up yes there were records you know everywhere and he really is a a fan and uh so he knew classical music but um i was just thinking about this the other day you know sort of things like uh uh, you know, we we did go to see uh, Yellow Submarine in the theaters when I was, you know, a few years old. Oh, wow. And then a few years later, uh, he, you know, he or I at the Salvation Army, we must have grabbed a copy of the soundtrack for Yellow Submarine. So, I mean, he didn't really always know, you know, gee, what what is Henry going to be interested in uh, right. or my brother, Patrick, but uh, he did, you know, kind of buy things that were like, Hey, you know, here's the unimportant uh, to me, uh, Beatles uh, sort of half an album of uh, right. some of their most interesting <laughs> songs and such. And yeah. part one of the white album on eight track. And so just sort wow. of, uh, until I could really sort of realize for myself that you could buy vinyl records and, you know, there was, uh, you, the stuff you heard on the radio, you didn't have to tape it on your little cassette player and get a good copy of it. Right. You could go somewhere and buy a pretty good copy of it if you had the money. So right. radio was very important, sort of pop radio, as well as sort of there was a local college station here and another sort of private pop rock station. So okay. uh, radio was a lot uh, of what I was uh, growing up with in the 70s. When did... I mean, did you, were you taking music lessons as a kid? Did your parents get you into music, or was it something that you were you gravitated towards playing music? Well, not at first. You know, there was violin lessons that didn't quite <laughs> take, and then there were piano lessons, and you know, we uh, we bought a a piano, and the piano lessons really didn't go anywhere, and so uh, there was that sort of mid. Uh, early teens when I just sort of had given up on that sort of stuff and didn't really uh, really think about, you know, music or playing music or that sort of moment with everyone like, hey, I can do this, you know, I can I can do podcasts or I can I can be an accountant or I can, you know, I'm a musician. That's what I want to do. And so um, it really was uh, uh, a few years of starting to buy records uh, of things like, you know, Boston or Foreigner or Starcastle. Um, and then just suddenly, uh, once I really, in the fall of 78, you know, once Boston's second album came out, they went on tour, uh, Foreigner's uh, second album came out and they went on tour. <laughs> just a couple months apart, they came to the assembly hall here in Champaign. And it was just like that first Boston concert was just like, even though I was in, you know, double C section and they'd sold behind the stage. So, you know, <laughs> I was just like, wow, this is great. You know, I got tickets right. behind the stage. What does that mean? Uh, you know, I guess you'll be looking at the curtain behind the stage, but, or they took the curtain down. But, um, a few weeks later, it was that uh, Foreigner concert uh, with uh, Ian McDonald on guitar and uh, flute as well. Right. Uh, that, uh, you know, almost right after that, I was just like, I got to call the guitar store. I got to start taking guitar lessons. And so that uh, a friend's dad had had an acoustic guitar 
that summer or year, you know, before I'd always been looking at it and we'd gone to some music shops and looked at guitars, but uh, it was really seeing a concert and just thinking, wow, an electric guitar would be really cool. When did you really decide to start playing with people? I mean, uh, when did playing with bands really become an option for you or, or something that you wanted to do? I was uh, pretty, pretty soon after within, you know, almost, uh, you know, just a year or so, uh, a friend of mine who'd gone to another high school kind of across town, kind of, uh, we linked up with him and he just bought a Rogers drum kit and we started listening to cheap trick and the clash and oh. queen. And so, um, yeah, that's when we really just started uh, uh, putting together, you know, uh, you know, Tommy Shocker and the Deviates. And, you know, that was just, you know, once once we met Tommy and once the, the Deviates came together, it was just there was no stopping us. We did that one show <laughs> and then, uh, New Year's Eve 1980, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, we never played again. But and we, <laughs> you know, but that, that was sort of a starting point of some uh, friends and then. I kind of moved on uh, towards that, away from that. Sounds like it was a little punkier, poppier music than what you're doing now. So is that the case? Uh, yeah, it was definitely, you know, uh, it was definitely covers. But at that first, um, someone asked me a few weeks ago, what was your first song um, in that uh, first band with Eric Stenzel and Tommy Shocker? Um, I did. I started to come up with this song called Ain't Got No Fiery. And Fiery was the name of a dog uh, <laughs> that my parents had. And it just for some reason, the drummer, Eric Stenzel, said, you know, ain't got no fiery. And so that was sort of my first song that I started uh carrying around to from one band to the next um wow we did actually play ain't got no fiery in uh, me and a friend kevin merrifield on bass separately joined a band that would become known as lodestone destiny a very heavy heavy metal band but when we joined them they were just sort of playing queen and uh eric clapton songs and things like that but oh, wow so I did carry my song "Ain't Got No Fiery" to Lodestone Destiny, and finally, uh, last year of high school, uh, with a that green double Yardbirds record, greatest hits in hand. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, a TV uh, TV advertised double album called Wild Thing, <laughs> which had every garage rock uh, song you ever needed to have. Yeah. Um, senior year of high school. <laughs> You know, despite what was going on at the time, like new music, punk, new wave, it just sort of completely immersed ourselves in the sound of the mid '60s and late '60s, and and so uh, the syndicate uh, did. Uh, we did have uh, originals, we did a demo tape, but we also, you know, did covers, and we were together for you know about two years. And oh wow. that, You know, what are you going to do your first year out of high school? You're going to kind of play in a band that probably won't, you know, make you make your life's fortune, but right. I found that out. And, <laughs> uh, so. so that led to ACAC, which I, I'm trying to find. And here's the thing. I, I was looking up some of the bands that you're, you're in and low zone, destiny syndicate, ACAC area. You know, it's really hard to research a band called area. You get all kinds of weird search results that have nothing to do with music. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it um, it helps to uh, 
to put in uh, uh, Lynn Canfield was the singer or uh, yeah. Henry Frayne. I played guitar. If you do search for area and Lynn Canfield, you know, it, it pops right up. But um, the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, there was a uh, someone in Champagne who started a band called The Arms of Someone New with his friend Mel. And they formed a record company here in Champaign in the mid 80s to release their sort of studio duo albums. Okay. And uh, uh, he, they approached Ak Ak and uh, released uh, our two singles vinyl in the mid 80s. Steve Jones with Office Records sort of um, got Lynn Canfield, the singer, and myself together to form this other studio project called Area. So Steve, uh, Steve does have a web page that uh, sort of has, and we're on uh, Project Records out in Portland, uh, reissued a bunch of the Area stuff. So oh, wow, okay. Um, the, the area stuff is, you know, sort of uh, the most uh, close to, you know, being uh, well. Uh, well out there, but... to Steve Jones uh, from area arms is on new, you know, we have noticed that um, there was an Italian sort of uh, prog rock band called area. Uh, and you know, of course, Apple music sort of just puts us all together. So you've got these yeah. sort of these albums from the seventies and then the area album center. If they'll ever untangle uh, <laughs> that. I guess that's the way the algorithms work. I don't know if and, it's any undoing I, it. Yeah, I, I think if you uh, approach them, I, I recently, you know, there's a an artist program for uh, Apple Music, and I I did approach them and said, yes, I'd like to claim the Lanterna page, and uh, uh, they sort of wrote me back, a real person, and then I cool. I did say that it seems like there's a uh, one, uh, it's like this German sort of ghost stand-up piano, stand-up bass kind of band that released an album called Lanterna, but their name is Magnifortigold or something. <laughs> and, and it's just like, you know, if you look at it, it's like, oh, now Lanterna has these six albums plus this album called Magnifork. Yeah. Um, and it's like, no, they, they just mixed it up when they, when they put it into the system that it's, uh, it's not that. And I, I emailed them back and it seems like that has corrected itself. Like suddenly oh, within nice. Suddenly, it's for five years. I was sort of looking at that, thinking like, "Oh, it's going to take forever to get that new album by Lanterna from 2014 yeah. <laughs> off to the right place." So, you progressed into a band that I find really interesting. Even the name is is, is wild. The Moon Seven Times. 
how did that come about? What is, how did you come up with that name? First of all, that's, that's a crazy name. Well, it, um, Lynn Canfield uh, was singing an area uh, with me and Steve Jones, keyboards and everything, recording, et cetera, record company. By the late 80s, we'd sort of were working on some new material and um, with a drummer, Brendan Gamble, uh, who was playing in a band called Poster Children at the time and also a band called Stark at the time, all here in Champaign, you know, everyone playing in a bunch of bands. I, and uh, I'm familiar with Poster Children. I think I have them on a compilation of some sort. Um, yeah, the Poster Children really, you know, got out there, uh, recorded with uh, uh, Steve Albini and um, uh, did a, the, one of their albums was called Flower Plower, which had one half by Steve Albini and one half by another producer. And uh, Brendan Gamble played on that, I think the Steve Albini side, if I'm not mistaken. And so uh, I think Poster Children, you know, got a deal with uh, Warner somehow uh, or some subsidiary. And so they, they were one of the early bands in the 90s from Champaign that really started like, wow, they have a major deal. And yeah. You know, boom, they started putting out. But they, they certainly were connected enough that they did. At the beginning, they were on a bunch of uh, probably compilations and things like that. So right around that time, you know, Brendan was touring with this uh, this touring band, Poster Children. And also he was uh, singing and playing guitar in a band called Stark. And um, I would go to see Brendan's band Stark here in town at Tritos. And, you know, at that point they were opening for this band called Smashing Pumpkins, you know, just a couple times with a, yeah. a few month period before, you know, they kind of took off. Yeah. So really interesting to see, you know, some of my friends playing, you know, opening for uh, some of these bands. And so Brendan and I um, were sort of jamming in the basement, coming up with some songs, and we would give the tapes to the singer, uh, Lynn Canfield, and she would write lyrics. And so before we knew it, we sort of had enough songs for uh, uh, an album. label that had licensed one of the area records in the UK. The record label was Third Mind Records. And so uh, this is, you know, a year later, we sort of sent him a few songs from this new project. And um, Gary at Third Mind Records said, yes, I'd, I'd love, let's do a record. Let's go. And um, so the name of the band, we started thinking of names of the band. I think we we did decide on Cobalt. And so, you know, the contracts are going to be drawn up. The contracts are going to be on their way. And he looked in a catalog and found uh, the Subway Antler distribution catalog. There was a band from Belgium called Cobalt that had released one 12-inch. Oh, oh. oh we got to come up with it. You know, the contracts are ready. We need to come up with a name. So somehow uh, the uh, the book, um, the, golden, the Golden Bow, uh, Bow, uh, opened up and you know someone saw a sentence and just the moon seven times was it wow so, i like that i mean people 
putting their fingers in, in, you know, in books probably happens all the time. It With Akak, I think it was the guitarist, uh, Tim Stevens, who just started looking through the dictionary and got as far as Akak and was like, <laughs> yes, the name of the band. <laughs> well, all right. So was this a full-time gig at this point, music, or were you working and, and uh, just doing it as for fun and, and you know, extra gig money or, or uh, just having something to do it, yeah it was definitely just a you know a, a thing I, I really was excited about obviously i was making my way through college slowly yeah. um, first at the community college here and then i transferred uh, right when i when i joined ACAC, i transferred over to the university of illinois and spent three years there finally got my degree but with uh with ACAC, it was a band uh sort of uh group composition so that you know we would rehearse six nights a week we were always rehearsing or writing and it was uh, it was definitely kind of a night and day experience from my previous bands where you know we, we did rehearse we played shows we wrote some songs but uh, with akak in addition to you know being in college here i was also you know going to rehearse at 10 o'clock every night of the week to uh, to write you know ultimately 40 or 50 songs that the band um you know performed over the two-year period i was wow with. um so it was always it's you know it's always just been sort of a side uh, a side line um i did I did uh, work at a library, and then I worked at uh, part-time at the radio station that's uh, affiliated with the U of I, which is WILL Radio. Right, yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, to answer that question, it's always been um, – I did uh, go full-time there in the late 80s, so pretty good vacation. So I was able to – when I – was performing live with Lanterna in the 2000s and such. I could get, you know, a couple of weeks off and do a tour of the West Coast or go to Greece for a few weeks or That's so. Awesome. Wow. But never, you know, never, never. I, you know, I, I know people who sort of had that, like, now we have a tour bus. Now we're just doing this. You know, yeah. it's all, everything's paid for or hopefully paid for for the next couple of months. I've seen some podcasters do that. I'm still waiting for some, some of that you know, sweet podcasting money, but we'll see. Yeah. So, so Moon Seven Times eventually ended. Was it was it uh, a good ending? I mean, was it? How did that happen? I'm always interested to, to know uh, how the transitions go from one band to the next. Yeah. Well, I there were um, a couple times when in 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 the past when. When it was happening, it was always like, wow, you know, this is the end, you know, ACAC is over or, you know, I'm not playing with ACAC and uh, I don't know what's, you know, what's the next thing. I'm living in Champaign, Illinois, you know, the middle of nowhere. What, you know, there's no, there's a, there's a great music scene here and there are great people here, but I, I wasn't quite sure. And almost immediately I get a call from Steve Jones uh, from office Records, saying, Hey, I'm doing this project with, you know, uh, uh, Lynn Canfield, uh, uh, sort of keyboardist, uh, background vocalist from ACAC. Um, she's, you know, writing lyrics and singing on some of my projects on some of my songs. You want to come join area. So 
uh, you know, sort of you're at the end of the road, there's no future at all. And suddenly, oh, I'm playing this band area that released a couple of albums. And after area, sort of the same kind of, wow, this is how do you um, how do you keep releasing records and doing music? And we did some demos and suddenly that third mind records in uh, the UK were like, yes, let's we'll sign you. And it uh, definitely took some time. Uh, they had to new, get a new backer, which was Roadrunner Records, sort of oh, definitely okay. heavy metal label based in yeah. Holland, but they had offices in, and they, uh, because of uh, Third Mind was very, uh, had a techno background as well, their early heavy influence on that. So it uh, it made sense, or it sort of made sense to bring in this ambient sort of rock band um, as well. Um, and uh, just uh, we did three records as the Moon Seven Times uh, with Third Mind and just Roadrunner. And, you know, it took us a couple of years to record the third one. They put it out. They gave it a couple of months. And then they were like, well, OK, this is not going to work. And so it was sort of getting dropped by that, uh, you know, to answer your question, if you're interested, the, you know, it's the sort of. Uh, losing the record deal is kind of like, well, I guess this is kind of, you know, we we tried it for seven years, and uh, now it's kind of the time to to kind of do other things. So uh, definitely uh, the uh, Lynn Canfield and Brendan Gamble uh, recorded an album called uh, uh, As Shotgun Wedding, and, uh, you know, a beautiful collection of songs, you know, sort of, you know, when you, you know, when when bands start out new or, you know, start new projects, there's always that, you know, there's a group of songs that people have been kind of uh, working on and, you know, suddenly there's that news. So yeah. uh, there was definitely that. I, I had, uh, ironically, as Moon Seven Times was starting, I also had a batch of songs that I kind of just wanted to do some instrumental or some longer form uh, songs. So I did ask Brendan Gamble, the drummer from the Moon Seven Times, like, hey, can we do the sort of side project type uh, recording? And I just want to fill up a 90 minute cassette. And I want to do a photo booklet and a box. And um, I was thinking of calling it Lanterna. Um, and so we, you know, about May 1991, was it 30 years ago? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Brendan and I got together in, you know, living room of the, the place where he was living and rehearsing with his, another band, uh, Stark in that case. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, recorded uh, the what would become the first Lanterna album, which I really wouldn't do uh, a second album for about 10 years. So it really. Yeah, I saw that. listening to moon seven times and it's really cool I mean, you've got some uh, it's great atmospheric guitar work going you know songs like like through the roses straw donkey uh my game there's a great like, atmosphere
really fiery guitar work it's in, in the leads. It's just, I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. It uh, it's definitely a, uh, uh, the Moonstone Times project kind of grew from just uh, the first uh, batch of songs that Brendan Gamble and I, uh, you know, were working on the music and, and then, you know, uh, working with Lynn Canfield uh, to sing and write lyrics. Uh, that first batch of songs, we kind of recorded it, and then the album didn't come out for about three years. So oh, in that time, we were also, you know, writing a bunch of new songs and waiting, like, when yes. can we do that second album? Right. And in that time, you know, uh, Brendan Gamble, who was singing, you know, lead and playing rhythm guitar and bass in um, in a band called Stark, which he was in at the time as well, mm-hmm. uh, he obviously had his own studio, did his own demos, and so by the time the second Moon Seven Times record, um, you know, came about, we had a whole collection of songs that uh, we kind of uh, had ready to go, and actually songs that were ready for the third album as well. So, wow. uh, you know, when you mention uh, 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 when um, Akak rehearsed in sort of a railway, really narrow railway hotel near the railroad tracks here in Champaign. Oh, wow. And um, it sort of became known as the Akak Hotel because there were so <laughs> many bands playing and so many bands that uh, members of Akak were playing in other bands that uh, were just down the hall or upstairs. And so it was kind of a rehearsal studio, but it was a place where people tried to live as well. And so... Oh my gosh. Um, the uh, even though my game uh, you know came out on the second Moonstone Times record in 1994, uh, that had been recorded on Brendan's you know Tascam eight-track machine uh, when he was still living back at um, the Akak Hotel, um, and it was one of those songs like he you know he did a mix of it and you know Lynn sang on it. It's got some percussion. Uh, Brendan Gamble, of course, plays the lead guitar part on it. All the synthesizers, so. You know, uh, Brendan's uh, Brendan's uh, guitar style and technique is definitely all over the, uh, the seven equals forty nine and uh, through the roses. Uh, Jay Bennett from uh, Titanic Love Affair and uh, Wilco played uh, lead guitar on Through the Roses. You mentioned oh, wow. so. So if you're, you know, need to be clear that, you know, there were uh, other guitarists uh, playing on Moon Seven Times. I was generally doing some, you know, some, I was just, you know, a rhythm guitarist, echoey rhythm guitar and and sort of sometimes did some of the fancy stuff. But generally it was, uh, we had other people kind of uh, pitching in for that. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. During Moon Seven Times, you start, as you mentioned, working on some other material that you've just kind of put aside that it becomes the first Lanterna album. And that kept getting re-released for a while. Didn't it? It came out as a cassette box set for a while the first time, and then it was vinyl, and then it came out a couple times on CD. It was re-released a few times. So there was a gap between the first and the second album, but the first album just kept getting re-released if, if I'm reading everything correctly. Uh, certainly. And I mean, I was, uh, you know, in the moon seven times. Uh, so I really wasn't recording any, uh, a new record for Lanterna. And I was happy just to kind of um, put out that limited edition of 400 uh, booklet boxes, cassettes. Wow. Um, 
And uh, someone in Greece, you know, in those days you got letters from people and uh, someone had wrote to Lanterna uh, from Greece, a record label called Elfish. And uh, they did, you know, we, you know, they wanted to put uh, together a a Lanterna vinyl and, you know, it was a big deal to sort of compile it, do the artwork here, send over these big boards to Greece. And they did about 500. Uh, The label sort of closed up shop uh, soon after. So, it's pretty rare. The um, the guy who, uh, one of the partners in Elfish, you know, we did connect a few years ago, and he sent me a picture of, you know, like 12 records sitting on a chair at his dad's place. And he's uh, like, someday when you come, or, you know, I think sending records like that, I think customs would just say, oh, these must be, these must be contraband, yeah. or these must be rare records, so <laughs> let's, you know, throw them in the trash or something. I, <laughs> so it's sort of like, no, I'll, I'll come to Greece again sometime, and I will... I will pick them up from you. And I, I mean, I have one or two copies of that Greek vinyl. It's kind of this fun, very rare thing because the label kind of went out of business and I don't know how many ever really got, uh, got sold. But, um, a few years after that parasol records here in Urbana, um, did say, Hey Henry, why don't you, you know, why don't you do a Lanterna CD? And, um, unfortunately the original cassette was, you know, 90 minutes long or close because of the cassette format. So I did have to uh, kind of jostle, jostle things around to uh, get the uh, the Parasol CD together. But um, that's when I really got, uh, Parasol said, hey, why don't you do this um, independent projects press? Why don't you do that letterpress um, uh, packaging? And I think I, uh, I have one of the, on my shelf, sort of a, a Bruce Leischer of uh, Savage Republic Scenic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of when I've, I had been in touch with him once about some perforated stamping or stamps, page of stamps or something. But uh, when I really got to know uh, Bruce Leischer at uh, Independent Projects Records was when Parasol said, you know, why don't we, we'll pay to have the uh, the first Lanterna put out in this special packaging. Oh, wow. Uh, and so that was really uh pretty cool to do a thousand run and i think they did a second run of a thousand so in the middle of the 90s i i did have kind of a wider release of that lanterna cd and uh, even did a tour with uh, bruce leischer's band scenic um, of the west coast we did a half dozen shows uh, arizona up to seattle and so that was very oh, cool um, exciting sort of go on the road with Lanterna for the first time. I had just started doing some live shows in 1996 as Lanterna with drums, guitar, bass. And we, uh, we did that live tour in, uh, 96 with scenic. And so it, it was about the time that, you know, moon seven times got dropped by roadrunner and kind of stopped performing, uh, that, you know, I did kind of say like, oh, okay, well, you know, this is surely this is the end of the road. You know, so I was right. sort of, um, and all this time I had been in Champagne, um, pretty much uh, working a full time job, and uh, you know, just doing music on the side. And um, the photographer for most of the Turner records is uh, Kevin Salemi. He was a Moon Seven Times fan wrote to us many years ago. did a, did photo sessions of us. Came out here, um, did some photo sessions of us for the record company. And so uh, the summer of '97, uh, I you know was in touch with uh, Kevin Salemi, who lives in Boston, and he 
um, had always, he had the box set. Uh, I'd met him just after I finished that box set. So his uh, photos aren't in that little booklet. But soon after that, I did start using his photos, especially on the Parasol release of Lanterna. And so he'd always wanted to do a photo booklet, a photo book with a CD in the back, you know, this this concept of music and art and photos. And he was sort of shopping this around. And in the summer of 97, he was like, hey, by the way, I talked to these people at Rikodisc in uh, Salem, Massachusetts, and they want to put out this really fancy little photo. You know, it's still, it's just a jewel case or still it's just a, but it is a photo booklet and the CD. So yes, that's how the last time the Lanterna the first Lanterna recordings got reissued was uh, finally in 1998 with Ryko Disc, and that was sort of an even a little bit bigger distribution, and uh, definitely kind of um, I did some touring around that 1998 release. And you mentioned the photographer, and that's one of the things I love is the uh, imagery with the Lanterna albums, the, the photography, the artwork with on the covers, and it's just, they're just beautiful. Yeah, I always, um, uh, I mean, especially since, you know, he really, I don't know, you know what I would be doing now, Lanterna-wise, um, if it wasn't for him in that summer of 97, just saying, you know, hey, wow, you know, there's this company here, right here in Salem, Massachusetts, and, you know, they uh, uh, always wanted to, you know, keep working with him, obviously, but I always wanted to... Uh, uh, for each new album, go to him and say, you know, what, what do you have? You know, what's the latest um, photos you have? What can I see? And, you know, especially for Hidden Drives, you know, the new record, he had this uh, sort of this railway trip um, somewhere around New Hampshire and uh, the uh, uh, Mount Washington and uh, just sort of had, it was a few years ago, but I'd sort of had those in uh, in the back of my mind, like, you know, I really want to kind of see if we can work with that. And, uh, you know, the picture that is on the cover of Hidden Drives is definitely uh, Kevin Salemi uh, really loves to take. Um, he used to have this, it was an old cheap camera uh, that had a certain aspect, um, but he would do uh, triptychs. So there would sort of be long uh, yeah. boxes. And uh, some of the some of the photos in the booklet for Hidden Drives are definitely these triptychs. But the front cover was part of a triptych, but he, uh, Bruce Leischer, really wanted to just use a one, you know, a, a full frame uh, shot yeah. for the front and back. And uh, we kind of zoomed in on that, uh, the top of the train, you know, coming up to a bridge. And I love really, it. The, the texture, the texture. Of it. <laughs> I love it. I'm, that's one of the things that always draws me to an album is, is the visual aspect of it. So there was a nine year gap or so between the first and the second album what got you back into writing for lanterna i'm pretty sure that you know songs existed from i mean uh, moon seven times had been going for about a year uh, before uh, i got together with brendan to uh, start on these first lanterna recordings but you know there were a bunch of songs that sort of you know were always just like well that's you know i'm gonna set that one aside because that's just kind of a you know that's not quite a really tight pop song or i mean there were there were a bunch of, of things that i had sort of thought like okay 
I really, you know, I do need to think about doing a second Len Turner record. And so I think, you know, I was only signed to uh, Ryko Disc for, you know, a year, if that. I mean, they, they quickly got bought by Palm Pictures and uh, Chris Blackwell, maybe, and just sort of all the bands were kind of, many bands were dropped. So it was pretty much one of those like, okay, I'm back to, back to square one. And right. so I, I did record Elm Street um, on my own with a, a producer here in town, Adam Schmidt, uh, producer, performer, um, and uh, just kind of thinking, I'm just going to do it the way I did the first record and, you know, get some uh, drum tracks down, overdub, get a finished record and then see what happens. And I, you know, what I saw happen is, you know, I sat around for a year, like trying to shop it the way we were trying to shop the first Moon Seven Times recordings. And it's just like, wow, this is, this is hard. Yeah. No, record companies really aren't going to jump at, uh, at an instrumental project or, or it's just, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to know until you just like, you know, boom, a, uh, someone in uh, Pittsburgh, I think, who Moon Seven Times had met on one of our promotional trips, uh, was in touch with him and he said, hey, there's this guy, you know, Badman Recording Company. He's out in San Francisco and he, uh, he put out this uh, shanty uh, project with a bunch of a compilation with a bunch of bands. It's, you know, really cool. And so somehow I got in touch with Dylan at Badman and, you know, somehow we... We just kept doing records together until the present day. So That's it was awesome. really those couple of doors, you know, completely shut, end of the rail, you know, tracks run out, you're, and then suddenly, you know, something does happen. So, yeah, a relationship that's lasted decades, you know, that, mm. that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. I like the fact that the albums are subtle. There's a, a beautiful subtlety to every single one of your albums, and I, I, I love it. I was listening to each of the albums, and there's a lot of different elements in each of the albums. I mean, every, every album has so many different elements. There's, you know, there's some prog in it. There's some jazz. There's some shoegaze. There's rock. There's even some country, like uh, Summer Break. That's a great song. Brightness sounds like it could be a U2 song from like Unforgettable Fire, Joshua Tree era. And that's, I think that's what I love about these albums is that it's not like an in your face. This is, um, this is the style that I'm going to be in. There's a lot of uh, progression in, in the tracks. There's a lot of different styles and I wasn't expecting it to be honest with you. I was, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure what to expect with the with the albums. Um, you know, knowing that they're instrumental, and uh, was the design always to be an instrumental project for Lanterna, or did you ever think of putting vocals on anything? Um, I think it pretty much was always. Um... You know, since you know the my the main project was Moon Seven Times, yeah. this was kind of like you know, hey, let's have a seven-minute song and just kind of have the parts um, 
uh, like uh, there's a song on uh, highways called Last Practice, which is pretty long, maybe eight minutes. And it just, you know, just to sort of explore that, like, we're just going to play over and over. It's not going to be a real jam or anything, but there's just going to be all these things and melodies and sounds and... It, it always was meant to, you know, mostly be um, instrumental. And okay. uh, I know that I, after Ryko Disc, I did, you know, pass through New York and played uh, sort of the second album uh, before I'd met up with Badman uh, for someone at Palm Pictures. And, you know, uh, listened to one song and, you know, shut it off and said, you know, you just really, you just have to, you have to get lyrics on this because you just can't. There's nothing, you know, and I I think I had a feeling that, you know, before I walked into the office that that was, you know, it's like, okay, play one song, then turn it off and then tell him he really has to come up with lyrics for these songs. And I, I just said, yeah, but I mean, that's what I like doing. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not Palm Pictures material. Yeah. So, so I did have, you know, if it really would have, I mean, I have had that suggested before, like, you know, your songs really do need uh, to have, um, you know, you should, I, I hear lyrics when I, uh, when I listen to your music. Oh, well, I mean, I disagree because I really like being able to put the album on and just listen to it, not worry about lyrics. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you never know what you're going to get <laughs> with lyrics it, this is an album that I, i'm comfortable putting with the, any of them but the new one I'm, I'm comfortable putting on for anybody like if my kids are home i can play it i don't have to worry about bad filthy language or or, or i can play it when my you know friends come over when when my parents come over I, it's just a great album to sit down and just relax to it's so nice to have an album that you can just put on, sit down, have a drink, and not worry about stuff. I mean, I'm I'm someone who uh, I have written a few lyrics in my life. Um, uh, Steve Jones for one song thought it'd be fun if he wrote a verse and I wrote a verse and Lynn Canfield wrote a verse and uh, there are a couple of uh, lines of something in on the first Lanterna record on a song called Passage. Also, I did sing Lynn's lyrics on a song on the first Lanterna as well. But um, I'm so happy to sort of uh, maybe sort of a cop out to say, you know, oh, I'm just going to I'm going to be an instrumental band. And <laughs> it's just it's um, by by necessity. But also, I, I just um, I can't imagine 
me writing, you know, I mean, just the, the concept of, uh, you know, writing a couple albums of instrumental music is like, oh, yeah, I can probably do that if I put my mind to it. But the thought of like filling those albums with stories and it's just such an easy thing just to be like, you know, I'm never going to learn how to speak French. I'm never going <laughs> to write a bunch of lyrics for my songs. And, you know, I, I am so grateful to Lynn Canfield and uh, Steve Shields and Ak Ak. I mean, just, you know, uh, that was their thing, you know, to write yeah write these stories and lyrics and it's uh it, it does add a dimension to the uh you know uh, the the basic idea of you know writing music that sort of uh, brings things to mind uh, which is what lanterna does i hope um but also in moon seven times or act act you know there's also that um, there are also are lyrics that you know tell stories and and create a space but i just uh, you know, as you say, you never know what you're going to get. I, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm listening to a band and thinking, you know, this is not, you know, this isn't, you know, they're very good, but you know, how did this person, why is this person writing brilliant, brilliant lyrics? Uh, what, what is their, I mean, well, one of the things that I really liked about going back and, and listening to all the albums was that they're very cinematic i mean they're they're very beautiful they could be movie soundtracks they're they're really incredible in that sense and it makes me use my imagination i i have a tendency when i hear music uh instrumental music like this to to just come up with scenarios in my head if i'm you know as long as i'm not doing something else i put it on if i'm just kind of sitting back and trying to listen to instrumental music which i love doing I, I will see landscapes in my head or movie scenes, things like that. And that's one of the things that happens with Lanterna is I, I'm seeing these amazing landscapes and these imagining the, the, you know, taking a trip to a place that in my head matches the music. So I, that's what I love about instrumental music and, and Lanterna is that it makes my imagination work. I'm, again, I wonder, um, I, I don't know if, if you're a, I don't know if it's even a Hammer film, uh, like old uh, films from the 60s and such. There's a film called Quatermass in the Pit where I think they're actually able to, you know, put this big uh, thing, all these wires and gadgets onto, uh, is it Barbara Shelley's head actor? <laughs> Uh, her head and and they're able to see the pictures that are in her mind on this fuzzy screen. Oh, wow. And, um, uh, I, it'd be interesting to, because, you know, when I am in the studio listening, overdubbing uh, a pretty meticulous process of kind of adding things when I'm working with Mike Brosco, the producer, um, you know, so that I, you know, if I were, was to stop myself and say, well, what do you think of every time you listen to Hidden Drives or Redwoods or, um, you know, I'd have to stop myself and say, wow, I've never, you know, I just, I think of it. And so it'd be interesting to, you know, to see, you know, what, what comes to mind for you. And that very interesting to find out that yes, um, there are other people who, who uh, do go on their own journeys with the music. And it is a starting, just a starting point. The title is somewhat of a starting point. And as I've said, 
a couple times before you know just the title that's you know that's hard enough for me but i'm i, I do enjoy that <laughs> it's fun to see you know a final finally decide on okay these are the 10 song titles and uh and uh, boy i'm done with that that was hard <laughs> i was gonna say how do you come up with the titles for for the songs because you know we've, if you have lyrics i can imagine it's usually fairly easy but with instrumentals that that seems very difficult for me yeah it um i you know i do once that part i mean there's a part in the recording process where it's like okay we're gonna you know we're gonna share these uh, rough mixes with dylan at Badman, and i you know i don't want to have a uh, a situation of you know talking about a bunch of demo titles and you know oh which because uh, it happens enough with mike brosco and me that you know you know he will doggedly hang on to you know that first uh that first demo title that i come in with and it's like just call it C long slow um you know and so he'll he'll call it that forever despite the fact that it's like okay these are the final titles let's ship these off of the record company so we can all uh, talk about the same thing and right. i think for for the new record i did i did title it uh, muscle ridge as in the the muscle uh, the thing that you have with spaghetti um or you know uh, the uh, the sea creature um and uh, it's a place um uh, it's a channel in maine or some islands the muscle ridge islands and oh wow i had sent off you know the final uh, uh titles to badman or at least we were talking about them all and then i suddenly i did see a map which really did call it uh, muscle ridge as in you know you need to uh, you need to row hard to get through this channel of water because it's <laughs> very uh, uh, so album to me it sounds like it's almost like post-rock that's grown up i really i, I can hear some actually some heavier elements kind of like if uh, if a band like pelican decided to write music for adults i hear it more pronounced on this album than some of your previous albums i heard i heard it a lot more on um island lake from backyards That's really the first time I hear the sound that I'm, I'm I'm trying to describe, and it's I'm not doing a very good job of it. But the sound of of Island Lake from Backyards, I hear it a lot more in Hidden Drives than I do in your earlier work, and it's almost a heavier 
sound not not like not like a distorted or or it, it's just um it almost sounds like post rock like a pelican or, or grails or a, a band like that and I, I really think that that's incredibly interesting yeah i suppose that um you know uh, island lake is one of those songs that sort of you know probably you know went back some years and was just uh, uh was distinctive enough and I had recordings of it, but um, it uh, you mentioned the Moon Seven Times song uh, "Straw Donkeys," yes. which is that sort of a plucked uh, delay uh, with drums, and it uh, I think that Island Lake was uh, a similar type of song that uh, very self-contained because I could uh, even though I had bought some bass pedals that helped with writing because I could just play the bass parts on the pedals and but. Um, uh, Island Lake definitely has that, you know, I can pretty much do some of those moves and the bass parts as well as the high parts. And so it was something that I could, you know, just sort of play on the acoustic guitar even and uh, kind of stuck in my mind for uh, some time. And it definitely, it does have the synthesizers um, that were always there on the demos and such, the sort of uh, Mellotron, you know, very kind of uh, first King Crimson album type um uh, uh, sound and uh so i think that mike brosco just had a couple more of these uh sort of keyboard things that he bought and so for things like hidden drives definitely played that sort of uh, burbling keyboard part on that okay. and i did have my uh, sort of a tradition of having this uh, it was an arp omni uh from the mid seventies, really basic string synthesizer with a little, a little synth section on it, but mostly um, synthesizer strings. And I, I did kind of a tradition to have that on all of the Lanterna records. And I think there was one record that it didn't get onto, but on this record, it, it does show up a couple times on uh, 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 Cupola and uh, I think Main Two Sixty Two. There's some really high synth sounds that it's like, oh, that's actually the the ARP. Okay, okay. Chagrin Boulevard was just a, f- a fragment of a song at the end of a cassette tape, and you kind of had to recreate it from memory. Is that right? Uh, yeah, and um, I mean, but it's just me being well, me being lazy at the time because I'm, <laughs> I'm I, um, it was from a you know just a an idea cassette, and I used to uh, you know number them one through eighty nine or something, and so um, I'm I'm sure I was kind of just sat down with the acoustic and was playing this and it, it, you know, the tape ran out and I saw the tape ran out and I was just like, Oh, well, I'll remember the second part of that or wherever I was going with that. (laughs) You know, it was sort of suggesting that sort of a descending chord line, but I really, I didn't have it anywhere else other than that. And I was just so lazy that when it came to compiling uh, kind of a new record, uh, all the scraps and demos, you know, I just sort of, 
put that on there and listen to that over and over again as I was driving back and forth between here and Maine uh, with all the other sort of uh, very uh, scrappy recordings of ideas instead of saying, okay, I'm going to, I need to sort of take a couple hours and do proper demos so I can <laughs> listen to them properly and decide on parts. But that was one that I definitely wanted to finish and sort of um, kind of decide on how the rest of uh, Chagrin Boulevard would go. And um, I'm glad that I finally you know, put a, put an end to that, yeah. that, <laughs> that loose end, uh, literally. My favorite song of the album, Redwoods, wasn't originally going to have drums on it. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, Eric Jabot, um, a drummer, has also been in Blue Man, you know, performed with the Blue Man group since, you know, almost the beginning, wow. uh, mostly in Chicago, but also in uh, Tokyo. He was there and oh, wow. uh, he was there when we sort of started working on Backyards. So um, I worked with uh, Louis Simon, um, Mike Brosco, my producer's friend, came in from Idaho and, and did drums for the Backyards album. But Eric was back from Japan for uh, Hidden Drives. And uh, I'd, uh, I'd started uh, recording Keeper guitar tracks to a click track for some of the songs like Hidden Drives or Redwoods. So there was definitely a... Um, sort of the guitar tracks that you hear were already there just to a click track. And I kind of thought, let's just get started, you know, and then when we can work everything out, we'll have Eric come down and cut the drums to a click track with the actual kind of echoey uh, guitars and such on some of the songs. Okay. So I pretty much probably just told him, you know, these, uh, these five songs, definitely hidden drives, the five songs that have drums and, um, he only came down for a day and a half, um, and we, you know, cut everything pretty quickly. But he definitely said, you know, you know, I, I was thinking, listening to it, and I think, you know, maybe I could come up with something. And so it was like really, so well, let me, you know, let me play, you know, what I have. And so Mike Brosco pre pressed play and record, and just like. <laughs> You know, the guitar is sort of building and building. He's playing some cymbals, and then he comes in, and it was just like, wow, that's <laughs> really, really great. So it was a, it was a nice. Uh, it's good to have. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think on the previous record, Backyards, I think you know every track has drums, and uh, for the previous records, I think I had actually worked, you know, had actually some songs that did not have drums, so that um, it wasn't quite all so much you know completely a rock record there were some more ambient spaces and yeah. and such so i without really thinking about it backyards definitely was a you know a very uh a drum oriented uh, record but um for hidden drives definitely wanted a few uh, tracks and also just um when you're you know just a stereo mix can only highlight so much and there's always so many 
a couple of small parts that are that sound so great when you cut them it's like oh this is going to be great you listen to them loud as you're cutting them mm-hmm. and then suddenly they kind of become all part of the big picture and so i specifically said to uh dylan at Badman and to mike brosco you know let's do uh mixes of the drum songs you know without the drums or with some you know just to just so maybe you can uh, see some of those extra parts um, on, and so that's why there are those extra five, uh, five I think mixes. Yes, that uh, definitely has redwoods, and you know it was a way to just to say to Mike Brosco, you know, just uh, make it sound different and add some things. Uh, Mike uh, Brosco is always grabbing my uh, sort of uh, guitar tails or a note here and a note there, and then putting it through a, you know, all sorts of experimental kind of uh, plugins and things like that so there is a you know a, a wide field of ambience that he is able to create around some of these songs is there or are there plans to play this live when it's possible and, and do you even with the other albums when you play live are you putting a, a band together or are you doing it just you and a drummer definitely in the past uh the best scenario is a, a bass player, a guitarist, and a drummer, um, or even a, another guitarist. Brian Crum from Chicago sometimes plays with me. But um, and when I went to Greece, uh, I did take uh, Nick McCree on bass guitar and Eric Jabot on drums. Um, but other times, I uh, hooked up with some friends in Greece to and you know just show up myself we rehearsed a couple times and um and that worked out pretty well uh, as well i have been playing the bass pedal so for the last record eric and i did go to the east coast and we did play uh, a couple shows with just drummer guitarist and me playing the bass parts and it's wow. it's challenging but it's it is uh, <laughs> it's very simple and you know it uh, it kind of it's nice to just have you know uh, two people on stage with you know that sort of sound yeah what kind of gear do you use when you when you play live do you have to use a lot of uh, looping or samples to to create the the lushness of the albums um, no, I pretty much just, uh, you know, play the parts and, you know, hope that I can, you know, play the rhythm parts in the low areas and then have uh, hanging notes in the upper areas and play melodies and work around the uh, the bass pedals as well. So, wow. you know, a, uh, a song like Island Lake, I'm, you know, able to, uh, there's some pretty quick moves. I mean, I'm no John Paul Jones playing, you know. <laughs> bass pedals and the piano parts for uh, the ocean uh, right. but Island Lake does have that sort of a couple notes played pretty quickly and you know we was able to work out things with Eric so that you know we we were able to do a pretty uh, pretty good dramatic version of that song kind of heavy uh, heavy feel um, and so I'm hoping to try and do that again I've kept you for over an hour and thank you so much for, for all your time where can people pick up the album how can they order it and, and what kind of formats is it coming out on um it's uh, coming out on cd uh bad man's also doing the vinyl and um this download you know uh, bad man has uh pre-ordering on their website and it's uh, just a you know www.badmanrecording.com 
co co dot com and uh, you know so that's the best place to go order it directly from the source but there's definitely all sorts of other um, other sites that right. you know you can that it is uh, showing up on so do you have a social media presence where people can follow you to see what uh, what's going on if if things open up and you, you can't get out and play live or any other news <laughs> Um, yeah, there's a, a Lanterna Facebook, you know, page, and uh, there's a Lanterna website where post uh, some of the uh, the video trailers for the album, but also the uh, videographer uh, Ben Geyer, uh, who's in a band called uh, Sleep Out. He's a drummer up in Chicago, actually, but he also does these fantastic videos. He has a uh, we have the first video up um, on YouTube and on the Lanterna page for. Uh, hidden drives and it's his floating camera sort of uh, he finds you know old houses uh, out in the midwest somewhere uh, some really uh, stark imagery and just wonderful wonderful stuff and so you can see that definitely on the uh, the youtube page for badman or uh, for lanterna or the lanterna website which is just lanterna.tv i do have one more question for you i, I... Can't believe I forgot to ask you this. How did you come up with the name Lanterna? I'm sure. Yeah, I, I was about to move from Moon Seven Times uh, name to Lanterna name. <laughs> um, I was speaking with someone about two weeks ago, and I mentioned, well, you know, I went to the uh, the bass player from Akak was living in New York. He took me to this restaurant called Lanterna, and a few weeks ago, someone who was I was talking with, interviewing with, said, oh, I know that place all the time. I, I go there all the time on, <laughs> you know, on South uh, something or other in New York. And so I guess it was, I do remember, you know, taking the card from the restaurant with Lanterna and thinking, you know, that's pretty cool. That's a, a, you know, one word. I also had these very old um, Italian to English, English to Italian dictionaries from like 1880. Oh, and wow. So all these sort of old words or old kind of definitions of, you know, what a lanterna was or uh, the early magic lantern, which was sort of a early projector or slide projectors. Oh, okay. So the uh, lanterna magica uh, was kind of uh, something I... Uh, with my art history background, sort of the uh, sitting in dark rooms, looking at, you know, slides and artwork on flashing on the walls. I just uh, decided that Lanterna was a, a good, uh, a good title for this one off uh, limited <laughs> edition box set uh, photo booklet um, on a cassette, of course. Right. With, uh, so that was a, you know, definitely uh, uh, like like the name, and it's been a good name to to stick with. Choosing band names, as you you may know, or have have talked to people who have tried to choose band names in the past, it's you know, really a tough a tough thing. It's yeah, it's you almost have to just make up words at this point. Uh, but nowadays you can definitely, you know, all you have to do is kind of go and start searching for it and find out. Oh yeah, there's another. 10 bands who have the same um, the same name oh yeah you know the internet has helped and and hurt Henry, thank you so much for your time i really do appreciate it it's been wonderful chatting with you and and i, I really do enjoy uh, listening to the music the new album is really wonderful well, thank you it's been great to talk to you
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.